Fear's an unavoidable part of human existence. It threatens to consume us and even paralyze us on sometimes an hourly, weekly, and even a monthly basis. Hi, this is Greg, one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian. We are taught that it is weak to show fear and that being a hero means knowing no fear, so we hide it. That isn't a healthy process. In this series, we will look at the familiar story of David and Goliath and see how God empowers us to deal with fear. We hope you enjoy. And all God's people said, hey, I have to say it again. It is so good to be here and see people sitting in the purple chairs. For 10 months, I preached to a little camera that sat right here and Pastor Greg, the only one in the room. So um, not to say anything about his face, but I'm just saying it's nice to see yours. The other thing is, I, I'm just, we are just so blessed to, to live here in Southern California. We just finished our service out on the lawn. That place was packed. We had a great time. Uh, people sitting in their cars that didn't feel comfortable listening to us on 105.5. And so we're just trying to throw everything to the wall to hear, for people to hear the good news. Amen? And so it is good to be in here. And can I just selfishly say this? How about Wendy on the violin? Oh, my gosh. I loved worship unplugged here. I want to give a shout out to those of you that are at home. Again, we're continuing to reach out in different ways. Last week was our very first live stream. So no more recording during the middle of the week. It goes live at 1030. And then today, for the first time, people are able to watch it on Facebook and YouTube live. So we're just stretching in so many different ways. And so everybody, let's give them a shout out to those that are watching and listening. Who knows where, where, but uh, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. And um, I can't wait to get back out into that beautiful sun out there. It is so good. Sorry for those of you that are in other states and you're freezing your tails off. It's 72 degrees right now. All right. Well, I have a question for you to start our new series. And the question is this. Can you remember what you were doing 22 years ago. You're like, I can't tell you what I had for lunch yesterday. Some of you immediately are going, I wasn't even here on this earth. (laughs) We're glad you're listening. But raise your hand if you remember 22 years ago. All right, 22 years ago, this guy, depending on what time of the year it was, was 30 years old. And I was the associate pastor of West Valley Christian Church, uh, and Drew, my oldest son now, is, is about five or six years old. We had just moved into the house that we've now lived in for 20 plus years, and life was good. I had hair back then. I was funny and much smarter back then. And I, well, I'll just leave it at that. The year, if you did the math, the year was 19... 99, or better known as Y2K. (gasps) Now, some of you are going to have to Google that. Y2K. Do you remember Y2K? How many of you tried to forget Y2K? Yes. It's like, what a crazy year that was. Like literally, the very beginning uh, of 1999, all of a sudden it's Y2K, and all of a sudden the end of the world was going to happen, right? Now, I apologize if I step on anyone's toes if you did any of these things, but just know this, you lived, okay? You might have been a little crazy back then, but the whole fear was all of a sudden the computers were not going to be able to respond, right? When all of a sudden the clock struck, struck 12, 
Computers weren't going to be able to go from 99 to 00. zero. And so we spent $300 billion on, on computer programs to, to adjust that. We, banks were fearful, fearful that they were going to crash and, and no one was going to be able to have the access to their money. So a lot of people, they liquidated everything and got all their cash. Again, nobody in here. People, people went out and they, they, can you imagine this? They went to Costco and they bought everything that were on the shelves. What a crazy thing. You couldn't get toilet paper back then. And, and eat water and food. And I know nobody did this. People were digging shelters. Do you remember this? This really happened in our world 22 years ago. <laughs> Then 21 months later, just 21 months later, I woke up, I think it was between 6.30 and 7, and back then, I would watch the Today Show to, to get ready, and the images, commercial planes crashing in to the north and south towers of the World Trade Center. That's 21 months later. Then we learned that a commercial plane hit Pentagon. And then later another one, because of some heroes that we would learn later, crashed in Pennsylvania. You remember this? 2,977 lives killed. And we know that as 9-11. It struck fear in the hearts of America. Do you remember? Of course you do. I remember as a pastor at the church, uh, Pastor Glenn and I, like, how do we respond to this? One of the first things, we opened up the doors. We were at a Nadia Wake campus back then. And just random people would come to the church looking for some kind of hope and would just sit in the chair and pray. I believe we came together that night as a church. And we prayed. I remember the college group. I, I see uh, some of the former uh, people that were part of that college ministry. Do you remember? We met in the college room that night, and we worshiped, and we're a bunch of 20-year-olds scared to death because we didn't know what happened and if it was going to happen again. You see, we're no strangers to uncertainty, are we? We're no strangers to uncertainty. And then you fast forward to 2020. Do you remember I stood on this very stage and I had these silly glasses on that said 2020. They were gold with little sparklies on it. And I stood here and I said, the year of 2020, we're going to see, uh, see more clearly in 2020. And we talked about all the exciting things in January. And then March 16th, we shut the doors here. And I, I would argue that I think we saw more clearly, <laughs> okay? I think COVID and the restrictions and quarantine all of a sudden allowed us to see some things more clearly, but we would have never predicted this uncertainty. What is my point? 
We have uncertainty as Americans all the time. We have had uncertainties as Californians. We have had uncertainties within our own communities, within our own churches. We've had uncertainties within our own families. And we certainly could stand here or sit here and look back and say, maybe not even look back, maybe we're in it right now, of the uncertainties that we find ourselves in. And that's what this whole series is. Fear. Faith in uncertain times. And the reason I went back in history a little bit, in recent history for us, is this is not new for us. So what can we do? How can we respond to this? Well, I believe Scripture has the answer. What about you? We're going to look at a story, a very, very familiar story. And so I'm going to challenge those of you that this is a familiar story to say, God, help me put fresh eyes in the context of where I sit or stand or lay today. And for four weeks, we're going to take a look at this between myself and Pastor John. Today, I just lay, lay the foundation for our story. And then the next three weeks, we're going to look at practical principles and tools. But before we do that, I'm going to ask if you bow your heads wherever you're at, unless you're driving. And pray that the Lord will speak to your heart. Not just today, but for this whole series. And I will close us. God, as you know, we are no strangers to uncertainty. Whether it was Y2K, 9-11, or COVID-19, we've had to respond. 2020 was definitely another example of uncertainty. And all that it brought and all that it continues to bring. And the question for me and the question for all of the listeners here today is how, how are we going to respond? Are we, are we going to respond in fear or are we going to respond in faith? God, I'm asking that you would help me to communicate your words with compassion, conviction. God, that through the Holy Spirit, you would move us from where we are to where you want us to be. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. So let's just jump right into our story. All right? So let's open up our Bibles. And again, many of you have your uh, Bible app, the U version, on your phone. And I just want to remind you if you go to the U version, if you click on events, it'll say West Valley Christian Church. You click on that, it's got all the words to our songs, it's got all the verses. And then later in the week, it'll give you all the, 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 the life uh, group questions that those of you that are in life groups, or if you're not in a life group, it gives you all the questions and all the verses that'll help further take uh, our sermon to another level. So we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to look, start with verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes, Demen, between Sokah and Ezekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and, and uh, camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another 
with the valley between them. So here, here, here's the, 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 the table's been set, okay? What you have here is, is you've got a battle. And you've got one group of people, the Philistines, on uh, one hill. And then you've got the Israelites on another. And just know this, just because I'm pointing to you guys doesn't mean you're the good guys and you're the bad guys. Or does it? I'm just saying. And then you've got this valley in the middle, right? And, and so it's kind of like today. I don't know if you know there's some kind of big game on today. And, and I know there wasn't much response. I heard the votes uh, when Pastor John asked you uh, personally. I don't have any skin in this game, but there is a battle, and the battle today is going to be between the Buccaneers and the Chiefs, right? And, and so, so the, the, the battlefield is going to be at a stadium, and the stadium is Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay, Florida, which, by the way, happens to be home field advantage for one of the teams, but nonetheless. But here we see the picture. And we know the stadium. It's this valley. And, and, and if there was a Las Vegas, I'm just saying, if there was a Las Vegas back in the time, guess who would be the favorite? The Philistines. Like, heavy favorites. Like, you'd want to put all your money on the Philistines. Like, we're not talking just a, 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 just a little bit of a favorite. They're a huge favorite. And one of the things that was fun for me this week was to study about uh, this army and to realize how powerful they really were. And really how out, 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 uh, outnumbered the Israelite army was. And, and really outsmarted and, and they were much bigger and much stronger, uh, more equipped. I mean, the list goes on. So you got the Israelites on one side and you got the Philistines on another side. Now, there's a tension that happens because not just the fact that the Philistines are uh, 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 you know, the, the, the favorite to win, but they've got the MVP on their team. You know where I'm going? They've got the MVP. Like yesterday, the NFL came out with the MVP this year. It was Aaron Rodgers. All right. Now the MVP of all warriors is this guy named Goliath. And you can read verses four through seven, and you're going to see a description of Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine warrior. Uh, he would be the warrior of the year, the MVP of the year, maybe even the MVP of the decade. I don't know. I wasn't there. He stood, does anyone know? How many feet? Nine feet. And some would say nine feet, nine inches, like that whole another nine inches makes a difference, right? So you got nine feet, nine inches. The armor that he wore, they're, they're saying that it was approximately 125 pounds. Some of you don't weigh 125 pounds. Some of you can't even remember the last time you weighed 125 pounds. Well, let's just say this. 125 pounds, that's a lot to put on yourself, right? Then his sword. His sword is said to be about 15 pounds. So here you've got this, this valiant warrior, this MVP. He was, <laughs> he was a first-round draft pick from Goff High School. Don't Google it or fact check me on that. I'm just saying. I have special information. Then you fast forward. Have I painted the picture, by the way? Like, like do you want to be on the Philistine side or do you want to be on the Israelite side after what I've described to you? So then we go to a Acts. <laughs> That's a good book. We're going to go to 1 uh, Samuel chapter 17. And, and, and we're going to read. Uh, actually, let's go to chapter 9. And I want to show something that, that validates the fact that... Um, 
<laughs> well, you'll see. First Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. Kish had a son named what? Saul. He's handsome and young and could be found in, or he was a young man that, that, that was handsome and young. Uh, he was better than anyone, really, in Israel. And he was a what? What does it say? He was a head taller than anyone else. So who is Saul? Saul's king of Israel, right? So he would be the leader. So he's the one that's got the, he's in charge of, uh, of the army. And, and, and so he's the one that they are crying for a king and we want a king to lead us. And, and so Saul's the one and Saul's a good looking guy. Saul's a big guy because we just read this in this verse. But now we go back to 1 Samuel 7, uh, 17 and we're going to see what happens here. In verse 8, this, this giant named Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and what? What does it say? And serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Now remember Saul. Saul's the man. Saul's the king. Saul's the leader. He's going to rise to the occasion. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, the handsome, big guy, king. Saul and all the Israelites were what? Were what? They, they were afraid. They were dismayed, the Bible says. And it says they were terrified. But Saul, you're, you're, you're the one that's going to lead the people. You're the one that, that God has put in this spot. You're the one that's going to bring a victory over this, this enemy, the Philistines, and specifically the one that's taunting us. Now think about this. Bullying kind of seems to be a, a phrase that's happened over the last, I don't know, five, five plus years. And, and, and I'm not for bullying and, and there's never a place for it. But bullying's not new. Wouldn't you call Goliath a bully? I mean, every morning he's coming up to the line and he's taunting them. And by the way, I'm not, again, I'm not saying yes or no. You have to figure it out through whatever God is saying to you. But I think trash talking's in the Bible. Because he was trash-talking. Every morning he's trash-talking. Every evening he's trash-talking. He's calling the Israelites out. He's challenging them, isn't he? Isn't that what we're reading here? But what consumed the king? What king? What was the king thinking? Well, we know this. He was filled filled with what? He was filled with what? He was filled with fear. He was terrified and dismayed. Now, I'm not saying he shouldn't have been, but he shouldn't have been. Now, from a worldly standpoint, if you're looking through the, the, the lens of, uh, of a human being, yeah, nine foot nine, 125 pounds, 15 pounds sword, yeah, that's intimidating. That is scary. I, I'm suggesting that maybe even King Saul's the one that led the army away from the battle line. Because he's a leader, isn't he? 
Maybe he let out in fear. Maybe all those that were standing behind him were looking at him saying, how is he going to respond? And the pressure had to be overwhelming. I'm not picking on Saul. I'll tell you this. I, I didn't share this earlier on the lawn, but, but even with this pandemic and, and closing, you know, quote unquote, uh, the doors, and yet the church has probably been healthier than it has in a long time because you can short the, shut the doors, but you can't shut the church. Amen. But I understand if you're the guy that everyone's looking to, there's a lot of pressure. And I've shared it. That pressure almost took me out in the month of June. So I'm not picking on Saul. I get it. But at the same time, when I, when I first talked to you guys, the very first thing I said to you when this pandemic hit is I'm committed to lead, not react. Sometimes I wish I never said those words. Because leading's hard. And leading can be lonely. And you could be filled with fear. You could translate that into your own homes. You know exactly what I'm talking about, amen? But here you have this situation. This is what fear does, is it causes you to retreat. It causes you to cower. It causes you to freeze. Can you relate? Fear threatens to consume us and even paralyze us on an hourly basis, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, and sometimes fear can take us out for life. But remember, Jesus said this, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly or full, amen, in John 10, 10. So how are you going to respond to uncertainty? How am I going to respond to uncertainty? How are you going to respond to uncertainty? Is it going to be faith or is it going to be fear? You see, every day was the same thing for the Israelites. They responded in dismay and were terrified. Hmm. I think, just my personal opinion, as a man living in 2020 in the United States of America... I can only testify to what I've experienced, but I've been taught that uh, to show fear is to show weakness. Is there any men that can relate to that? I don't know if you ladies know that, but that's what we're taught. Our dads teach us that, and their dads taught them that. That being a hero means no fear finds itself running through its veins. For me, even as a pastor, to stand here and say, you know what, I was almost taken out because of fear earlier last year. That's not sexy. <laughs> That's not popular. Someone say, hand me your man card. Well, if that's the truth, I just have to shoot straight. But I need to lead out in that too to let you men know it's okay to say that, it's, that I'm afraid. Because that's part of the healing process. That's part of the empowering process. But because we think that um, it's weakness, and I'm just speaking of men and women, you could maybe say it's the same of you, uh, for you. What we do is we hide it. We hide our fear. And we go out acting like everything's fine when the truth is there's one person that knows it's not, and it's us. And this could lead to what I call chicken little disease. <laughs> So yeah, I did some studying on the Philistine army, and I also did some studying on Chicken Little. Welcome to my world. 
So I, I'm sure my mom read that story to me. But, you know, Chicken Little is all about what? The sky is? The sky is? The sky is falling, right? And I'm like, okay, I know that phrase. But then I'm like, but how did, they, how did Chicken Little get there? So you know what I did in my office? I Googled it. And I read it as a big boy on my own. Cool pictures and everything. And I learned there's a movie. All right? So Easy and I are going to have to check out this movie. The whole, the whole premise of that story is an acorn fell from the sky and hit him on the head. So his response to this is what? The sky is, the sky is, the sky is, the sky is falling. Then he goes, tell this friend, the sky is falling. Then he's freaked out. He tells another friend, the sky is falling. All of a sudden, everyone's running around saying the sky is falling. And the truth is, the sky is not falling. Just an acorn hit him in the head. And then you fast forward to 2020, and you and I are running around saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Where is God? Oh my gosh, this thing is happening, and that thing's happening, and oh, I'm going to die, and I'm going to hide, and I'm going to scare. And we're freaking out, even as Christ followers, and I want to tell you the sky is not falling. The sky's not falling. Maybe an acorn hit in the head. But I want to tell you, God is bigger than the acorn. God is bigger than anything you and I are facing. God is bigger than Y2K. God was bigger than 9-11. And God is bigger than COVID-19. And God is bigger than any giant that you and I are facing today. Did you hear that? It's not true because Pastor Rob said it's true because God's word says it. One of my favorite authors is Max Licato. He wrote a book many years ago called Facing the Giant. Good book if you're struggling with this particular topic. He writes in this book, and I, and I want to read it to you. There's a lot of things I like to read to you in this book. Look at that. Must have been a sermon from 20 years ago. He says, your Goliath doesn't carry a sword or shield. He brandishes blades of unemployment, abandonment, sexual abuse, depression. Your giant doesn't parade up and down hills of Elah. He prances through your office, your bedroom, your classroom. He brings bills you can't pay, grades you can't make, people you can't please, whiskey you can't resist, pornography you can't refuse, a career you can't escape, a past you can't shake, and a future you can't face. You know well the roar of Goliath. He goes on later to say, your Goliath dominates your day and ill infiltrates your joy. Can you relate to what Max Licato said? I know I can. 1 Samuel 17, 16 says, for 40 days, for 40 days, the Philistines came forward every morning and every evening. 40 days. 40 days he came to the line and he taunted them. He bullied them. He screamed. For 40 days, the first thought in the morning and the last worry of the night was what was left in their minds and their hearts by Goliath and his words. Can you relate? My opinion. I think 
fear has two things that are at the core of it. There's probably more. But fear, especially in the context of COVID in 2021 now, one is, and it's true of Y2K, it's true of 9-11, it's true of all uncertainty, it's true of, of, of this pandemic, is we've lost control. When we lose control, fear automatically shows up. That's why when 9-11 hit, we're all freaking out because we don't know if we're next. When Y2K hit, everything was fine, but then all of a sudden we were going to lose control of everything that brought security, whether it was jobs, finances, food, whatever. And now COVID, and again, I know it's, uh, there's people that have it. I know it's real. But I think even in the church, our response is, is concerning to me. really trying to say this the right way. Not only is it lack of control that I think is the fear, but at the center of it, I think death is. I think we're acting the way we are because we're afraid to die. And I would say, brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ Jesus, Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? To die is gain. And so, brothers and sisters, if you're fearful as a Christ follower that you're going to die, I would challenge you on this. You have to look at your heart and say, is this what's dictating why I'm doing what I'm doing? First Timothy, and, and by the way, I, I want to go from, from fear to faith. If you're taking notes, write down faith. Because the question is, are you going to see your Goliath or are you going to see your God? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the Spirit of God gave us, let me say this again, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid or fearful, but gives us power, love, and what? Power, love, and self-discipline. So again, is it God-focused or is it fear-focused or giant-focused? Is it God-focused or is it giant focus. Goliath shouts out on a daily basis, evening and morning, every day, and he shouts out. He says this, and you might run by it in the scripture, but he says, servants of Saul. And that might not mean a whole lot to you, but think about this. He says, servants of Saul. He is telling the Israelites to focus in on their king, and what their king is is doing is responding in fear. And so if if he can remind them to act like Saul, then he's winning. But the truth is, they aren't servants of Saul. They're servants of God Almighty. Did you hear that? They're servants of God Almighty. Now think about it. Goliath every day came uh, in the morning and evening and says, Israelites, I just want to remind you that you're servants of God Almighty. The one that took you out of the heavy hand of Egypt, the one that brought you through the Red Sea, the one that brought manna from heaven, knocked a stick on a rock, and water came out. That God is the God that is coming to the battle line with you. Do you think the Israelites would turn and run like scaredy cats? But it was smart on Goliath's points to focus on you're the servants of Saul instead of God Almighty. Do you think that he might use the same strategy today with you and I? If he could get you and I to focus in on the giant, he's winning. Instead of focusing in on the God that slays the giant. Can I get an amen? But the squeaky will gets the attention. 
That's why 1 Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour someone. See, fear intimidates and it consumes. It hijacks our destiny and it hijacks our story. But the good news is, you don't have to play victim any longer to fear. That's why God has you here today, to allow you to be reminded that there's a God that can slay the giant. There's a God that's not of fear, but a God of power and a God of strength. And this is why I think we ought to rush to our God with a God-saturated heart. And that's what the next three weeks are about. How do do we get that God-saturated heart? And we're going to look at a, a young boy that, that came out of, the, uh, uh, of Israel that stood up and was not focused on the giants, but was on, focused on the God that could slay the giant. That's where I need to be. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Romans 8, 5 and 6 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is what? Death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Do you want life and peace or do you want death? Are you going to be God-focused or are you going to be giant-focused? Matthew is a great story in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. You go home, you read it, or maybe you're at home, go ahead and read it. But it's a story of the disciples that are on the boat, Sea of Galilee. It's late at night. They see a ghost. The Bible says they're terrified. They're filled with fear. And and the voice calls out and it says, do not be afraid. And that voice is of Jesus, right? And that's when Peter takes his step out on the water and he's walking. When he's God-focused, what is Peter doing? When he's God-focused, what is Peter doing? He's walking on the water, and all of a sudden some wind comes up, a little distraction comes up, and all of a sudden he puts his focus on Jesus onto the wind, and he does what? The Bible says he sinks. What a beautiful picture for us. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I am weak. I could go at any moment. I, I, that, I, that's how right there on the edge I am. And this is why I have to press into what I'm preaching today. I've got to be God-focused and not giant-focused. Tune out the voice that wants to intimidate me every morning and tune into the one that wants to build me up, encourage me, and equip me, and send me out. And the same is true for you. When he was God-focused, he walked on the water. When he was storm-focused, he sank. You see, What Pastor John and I get to talk about is this. The Israelites were definitely giant-focused, weren't they? But we want to work at being God-focused. And if we're God-focused right now, we want to work at staying (laughs) God-focused. So I close with this, a few questions. Ready? In these uncertain times, will you choose fear or faith? Will you choose to be giant-focused or God-focused? This is my encouragement, friends. Ready? I say, rush your giant with a saturated God heart. Rush your giant with a God-saturated soul. And next week, we're going to learn more about the details of how to do that. Will you pray? Father, thank you. Thank you for this day.
Thank you for this opportunity to be able to share. Thank you for your word that gives us hope. Thank you for your word that points us in the right direction. Thank you for your word that, that, that comes alongside of us and reminds us that we're not servants of the giant, we're servants of you. God bless each person that has heard this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Oh